This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the One who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you, and Merry Christmas. Today we're reflecting on this wonderful, surprising, interesting, strange story from the Gospel of Luke. The story we always read at Midnight Mass, the one that has appealed most to poets and to artists and to scholars over the centuries. It's a story that I'm afraid sometimes has become bland through over-familiarity. We hear the first few lines and we say, oh yeah, that's that wonderful Christmas story, I know that, and then we don't really listen. Or what's even worse has become banal through sentimentalizing. Oh, that's that nice, cute, sentimental Christmas story. What I want to say today is that this account in the Gospel of Luke is at every point subversive. Only when we understand that are we really understanding what Luke is trying to tell us about the birth of Jesus Christ. What we see in this story, I think, are two patterns. The pattern by which the world orders itself and the great pattern by which God orders things. And we see how the latter undermines the former. Let's look at some of these great reversals. Here's how it opens. Caesar Augustus ordered a census of the whole world. Now, in the ancient world, in Jesus' time, this is a way that a lot of stories and poems would begin. They were almost invariably about great people. Kings and emperors, the wealthy, the powerful. Why would you write a story or a poem about someone low class, middle class. You only wrote about important people. And so this story begins, invoking the wealthiest and the most powerful person in the world, Caesar Augustus. But then comes the first subversion. We very quickly see that the story is not about him. In fact, his opening move, calling for a census of the whole world, that's simply a minor detail because it allows two very simple, ordinary, common people to make their way from one dusty outpost to another in a distant corner of Augustus's empire. And as the story unfolds, who are the main characters? Grubby innkeepers, shepherds out in the field, the most ordinary run-of-the-mill people you could imagine. First subversion. Look for God where you least expect. Look for the deepest patterns of beauty and truth and meaning, not where the world tells you they are, simply among the wealthy, the powerful, and the important. Look for the movement of God, perhaps where you least expect it. What does Caesar Augustus order? He orders a census of the whole world. In the biblical tradition, 
God does not like censuses. King David in the Old Testament calls for a census of his nation. What does God do? God punishes him severely. What does God have against censuses? Well, they were the means by which wealthy, powerful people controlled their nations. Usually for the sake of taxation or drafting into the military, it was some means of control. It was a great exercise of power. If I can count them, I can tax them. If I can number them, I can control them. And so at the beginning here, when Caesar Augustus performs this great act of power, we're meant to see that's not the way God orders things. Because the kingship of God is revealed now in a completely different way. Listen. While they were there, the time came for her to have her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room at the inn. Second great subversion. Caesar Augustus ordering his census of the whole world. There is no greater invocation of earthly power than that. Caesar Augustus doing the most characteristically powerful thing in the eyes of the world. And now the story says, don't look to him. But what do we look at? This couple who is so poor, so out of it, so out of the mainstream, that even when they come into this dusty little town of Bethlehem, they can't even stay in the hostel reserved for common travelers. That's how marginalized, how off to the side, how unimportant this couple is. But they're the ones now to whom we look. Mary gives birth to the son, and she wraps him in swaddling clothes. Now think for a minute. None of your kids when they were maybe a year old, two years old, think of your kids. Now parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, think of little kids when they're newly born, when they weigh about six pounds or seven pounds, when you can hold them pretty easily in one hand, when their heads are kind of lolling to one side, they can barely hold their own heads up. Think of that scene. Hold that now in your mind. And that little helpless child, born so poorly and in such a destitute state that he's, he's out in the stable, that is the power of God. What's real power? Not the kind wielded by Caesar Augustus. That's the point. What's real power? Real power is a love that gives itself away, becoming weak and powerless for the sake of the other. God so loved the world, he sent his only son. Jesus empties himself, becoming a slave. True power is embodied in this little tiny baby born in an out-of-the-way corner of an out-of-the-way corner of the Roman Empire. Love is the pattern and the power that governs the world. She lays him in a manger. It's a great detail. Of course, it's become so familiar to us. She lays him in a place where the animals eat. What's the purpose of this king? 
Not to be fed, but to be food for the world. Not to be served, but to serve. Not to have others at his beck and call, but rather to offer himself in the most basic and fundamental way as food for the world. Love is giving oneself away, not expecting the obeisance of others. Think too, especially for us Catholics, every Sunday, perhaps every day, we come to the altar to be fed by Jesus. He's laid in a manger because his purpose is to be food for a hungry world. The other great detail, she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. She wrapped him tight in these bands, these cloths. What does most of the world celebrate as the height of attainment, achievement, power? Freedom. Especially Christians in the modern world. We glorify freedom. When I'm free, I'm powerful. When I can go where I want to go, I can do what I want to do. On my terms, in my way, I'm free. Nothing binds me. Nothing holds me back. Power and freedom are identified. What do we see here? Subversion number three. What's real freedom? What's real power? Jesus is wrapped up in the swaddling clothes of our frail humanity, wrapped up in the swaddling clothes of our sin, of our failure, of our grief. Jesus, out of love, wraps himself up in all that frightens us and all that besets us and all that constrains us. And in that act, he shows the deepest freedom and the deepest power. Real power is not when I can do what I want to do. Real power comes when I can give myself away in love so that I am bound to you, that I am bound to the other. Wrapped up in these swaddling clothes, Jesus is the divine power. Isn't that terrific? Isn't that a wonderful reversal of all of our expectations? Love and power coincide. What's the other great detail in this story? Again, celebrated by so many artists and poets and so on. Listen. Now there were shepherds in that region living in the fields and keeping the night watch over their flock. Watch again. We mustn't romanticize. We tend to think of the shepherds as very positive figures. There they are, these bucolic figures out in the field keeping night watch. In Jesus' time, shepherds were seen as something like scum of the earth, low down, low class, cheats, scoundrels, always allowing their flocks to pasture on someone else's ground, unreliable. In fact, the testimony of a shepherd was not acceptable in court. What's the point? The point is, to these people, the angel comes. To such as these, the angel appears and announces this great good news that a Savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord. Jesus here, commencing 
his lifelong mission of mingling precisely with those people whom the world holds in contempt. The angel announces to these very ordinary and despised people the good news. Just as 30 years later, Jesus will stand in the muddy waters of the Jordan with us sinners. Just as in his public life, he will associate with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. Just as at the very end of his life, he will be crucified in between two thieves. Jesus' job, Jesus' purpose in ministry is to come precisely among the sinners, among the low down, among the oppressed and the marginalized. Caesar Augustus in his palace would have nothing to do with such people. And that's why he's the false king. That's why his way of ordering things is not the right way. Here we see God's power. Wrapped up in swaddling clothes, offered as food for the world, mingling with the worst of the worst. What do the angels say to the shepherds? Do not be afraid. Christians, here is the great Christmas message. The angel says to the shepherds and to us, do not be afraid. What are we afraid of? A failure and sickness and, and death. All the things that wrap us up. God's power has come to us, has come into that condition. He is now our friend and companion precisely in those places where we are most afraid. And that's why we can conquer our fear. In this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger, in this one come among the poorest of the poor, we find the conquering of our fear. And that's why the last word the angels give is that wonderful word, peace. The risen Jesus says it to his friends, peace. And that is the message I leave with you on this Christmas. Peace, because of this child wrapped in swaddling clothes. God bless. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. To purchase copies of The Word on Fire, call 847-297-4360. That's 847-297-4360.